Welcome to Calling a City to Life, a podcast by Queen's Park Baptist Church in Glasgow. Each week you'll hear from us two episodes, the talk and the chat. First up is the talk, and that's the audio version of this week's sermon as preached at Queen's Park Baptist. So this is your opportunity to listen to it again or to listen to it for the first time. And later on in the week, you'll be able to tune in again and download the chat where we gather around and discuss in a bit more detail some of the issues and themes raised in this week's talk. Thank you for tuning in to the talk. We hope you enjoy it. And we look forward to you tuning in again later in the week. Enjoy. This morning, I want to, and I'd love to welcome uh, Shirley Berry. Shirley is a long-term friend of QP. Um, she has been somebody who has been cheering us on and helping us uh, for quite a considerable time. Uh, previously in her work with Bethany Christian Trust, uh, she was a great encouragement in helping us think about uh, children and family ministry. Uh, and then more recently at Partick, she's been involved uh, when we were working in Partick, helping us think through our mission there. Um, and um, now, um, She's just helping us by encouraging me, I think, mainly. Um, but uh, that's, that's help indeed. Um, but Shirley currently has two roles. She works for uh, Finlay uh, Memorial uh, Church at St. George's Cross on their pastoral staff team there. And she also works for Peter Vardy uh, as their chaplain, I think, something like that. So a woman of many hats and many parts, and we're delighted to have Shirley with us this morning. So please, would you welcome her? Great. It's really good to be with you this morning. And uh, I've, I've brought everything. I'm just going to get everything set up. And then I'm just going to pray before we start. But um, I was just saying to Ian that uh, I've really not got the hang of very vocals. So I brought my glasses just so that I'm just going to do this once because I, I don't need them for reading here. But I just want to see you all. Oh, that's good, right? <laughs> that's enough. I'm going to put them away now. And uh, but. It's great to be amongst you and um, and just, yeah, it's just good. It's good to be in a different place and, and just see how God is moving amongst the people. Uh, so let me just pray uh, before I read scripture this morning and we get stuck into what we're looking at. Lord, I just thank you for this opportunity that we have together to hear from you this morning. Lord, we believe that we have come with open hearts in time of worship and in prayer. And Lord, we call upon you now to bring us something that we need this morning. Lord, help us to be open to your tending. Help us to be open to all that you have. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So this morning, I'm kind of being dropped into your series on Revelation and uh, and that's great, and I've really valued all that God has been dragging me through <laughs> uh, in this preparation. Um, and so I want to read this morning because it's chapters 8 through to 10, but I'm going to, if you've got your Bibles and you want to follow through on this, I'm going to be reading uh, chapter 8, 1 to 6, and then a little bit from chapter 10, 1 to 11, and then I'm just going to like nip over into, I don't know who's next week, uh, chapter 11 just for verse 15, because I think that just gives us a, a good little overview to set the scene. So starting in chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 6. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven, 
for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God and to them were given seven trumpets. There was another angel who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of the saints went up before God and the angel's hand. And then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashings of lightning and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. And then chapter 10, we'll pick it up here, verses 1 to 11. And then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. And when he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seven angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. And so I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it, and it will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. And so I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. And then chapter 11, 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ and he will reign forever and forever. So there we go, uh, an overview of the trumpets <laughs> and uh, all that's happening that John has saw uh, in this vision. 
And I know that I've been listening to the podcast and I've been listening to different sermons. So I know that you've covered the sense that this is not a chronological, uh, you know, turn of events, that this is a vision, this is an imagination, this is um, a download of something based on what John saw, but also what John knew and what John was living through. And so these seven uh, trumpets are part of three sevens. He had last week the seven seals, seven trumpets, and then there's seven bowls. And we heard about seven thunders as well. There's a little extra seven in there. But do you know that sense that it's the completion? It's the part of the vision that John is seeing, the divinely designed completion of the old, old story. It's not a new story. It's an old, old story. And it's the best story. It's the only story that we ever have to have. And so this vision uh, is captured and it's a vision that holds much uh, for us today as it ever did and ever will. So I wonder if you could just move on the slides. Who's ever in charge of the clicker? I've not got a clicker here. Um, great, we're on slide two. Just put it on to the next one. That would be great, thank you. So what I want to do is, uh, I'm just checking my time um, because I'm a good talker <laughs> once I get started. Um, I've not, I've not, um, I've not been a preacher uh, all my life, but I have preached. Uh, and so I feel that I've got a lot to, to bring, you know, so sometimes I can, I can go on a wee bit, but I'm watching my time, so we're okay. What I want to do with these verses is I want us to establish something around the old story and think about uh, the parts that we didn't read. Um, but then I really want us to think about what that means for us today. So thinking about this perspective uh, of the same story, but played out in trumpets, if you like, uh, of a triumphant justice story in an unjust world. And one great commentator on these passages in Revelation, uh, Richard Bochum, in his book, he draws our attention that when you read through the section that we didn't read, uh, about the different trumpets, that there's a real kind of uh, nod to the theme of what he calls the eschatological exodus. So it's something that we've seen before. It's something that John had seen before about how justice, rescue, God, unjust world plays out. And so each of the trumpets kind of draws uh, symbolism from that story we find in Exodus. The hail, the fire, and the blood ushered in by the sound of the first and the second trumpet is imagery relating to the first and the seventh plague found in Exodus. The darkness that was ushered in by the fourth trumpet, imagery relating to the events of the eighth plague in the Exodus. The star named as wormwood and bitter water, ushered in by the sound of the third trumpet, is, reminds us of uh, an occasion in the Exodus, uh, not of the plague, 
but of a, a miracle that happened at Mara um, after the Exodus, where the bitterness was turned good. And here we see the opposite, where bitterness comes and pollutes. And so draw, John draws on this old story from Exodus, affirming the consistency of God towards justice, the consistency of God towards rescue, and the consistency of God towards opportunity for repentance. And really that is consistent throughout the whole Bible and is consistent in our lives today. But it's just as consistent as God's story of how justice triumphs in an unjust world. It's humanity's heart story in seeking opportunity and repentance. In chapter 9, verse 20, it says, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still not, did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. You see, part of this triumphant story of justice in an unjust world are these warnings or opportunities for repentance, but the reality that not all take them, that sometimes that grip that is held on power and oppression remains their story rather than embracing God's story for their life. And so we know that to be true and this is in these chapters as a reminder of these warnings, of these opportunities, but also of our heart within relation to responding. And we know that the justice triumph story isn't just a set of warnings or a reality of warnings, because it tells us in these passages that also there is an end event. So it's reminding us consistently that yes, there is a final event. In chapter 10, six and seven, it said there will be no more delay, but the days when the seventh angel is about to sound the trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as announced by his servants, the prophets. And so that sense that it's a mystery that unfolds, but there is a final event. There is a final event that's an important part of the story because it says, do not delay. We don't know when that event will be. It's not for us to know when that event will be. All we need to know is that there's opportunities to engage with God before that event happens. And my mind went to those verses in Matthew 12, 20, 21. The words of Isaiah is quoted, a bruised reed will not break and a smoldering wick will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope because that is 
how the ushering in of justice will look, that Jesus, the Lamb of God, will lead the victory and there will be that final justice come. And so we hear the consistency in these passages, like we do throughout the whole of Revelation. That's why Revelation is such an important book to engage with, because it reminds us of what we need to be reminded of very consistently and very clearly, as does the whole Bible. And so there's a consistency within the story that remains And there's a consistency within the story of the seal of the follower of the lamb. Last week, Ian mentioned this, and here we have it again uh, in chapter nine, verse four, when it's the fifth trumpet call and you've got the locusts. And it says only those people who did not have the seal of God on their foreheads were to be touched. So the consistency again, that there is the mark of the Lamb of God, the security of this time, the security of who you belong to at this time. We are reminded of that again, because we need to be reminded of that. And so this, these passages, this, this revelation, and John needed to be reminded of that, the people of that time, needed to be reminded of that because we know that it is an unjust world and we can waver, we can falter, we can be tempted in our hearts, we can be deceived. And so it's coming aside and being remembered of the fullness of the old, old story. I would encourage you as well to go and read the account of Joshua and Jericho because that has similarities to what we're seeing here. But I'm not going to go into that because I'm sticking to time because I want to go into the next bit, which is really important. You might remember the hymn, Tell Me the Old, Old Story, because I've mentioned the old story and this is, this is what was sitting in my heart as I've been pondering through Revelation. Tell me the old, old story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. Tell me the story simply, as to a little child, for I am weak and weary and helpless and defiled. Tell me the same old story when you have cause to fear that this world's empty glory is costing me too dear. And when the Lord's bright glory is dawning on my soul, tell me the old, old story. Jesus Christ makes thee whole. There might be somebody here this morning that needs to hear that, that needs to be reminded of that. There might be somebody here this morning that is just on the edge of something. And they need to hear, they need to be reminded of the old, old story. Because, see, the reality is in our unjust world, in our world of deception, we're told many stories. Even in times of trials and in troubles, we're told other stories. But these stories don't hold the power and the authority of the old, old story. And so we need to be reminded of that. I want to just flick on the 
slide, that would be great, thanks. Okay. And so thinking about what that means, because that's what we know. Okay, that's what we know. But is there a bit that we don't know? Well, there is a bit that we don't know. The bit that we don't know is the bit that hasn't been written yet. And that's what happens in our lives with these opportunities, with these decisions. That's the bit that we don't know. God knows all things, but we don't know this bit. You won't find that written in Revelation. About twice a week, I go into a women's prison in Mary Hill. That's a picture of it there. Uh, and one of the women that I see every week, she said to me that coming under the judgment and going into prison saved her life because it was in prison that she heard the story of the Lamb of God, that she heard the story of the promise and the opportunity for repentance, and that she heard a story that was true and that held power to change her life. And that is also the triumph of justice being ushered in to an unjust world. Yes, there's the final triumph, hallelujah, but there are all these other triumphs that we get to be part of. And that's just amazing. But it's also a challenge because in order for us to be part of these individual triumphs that are there, that are waiting, that God is desiring, because God says that he desires that none will perish, but all will come to repentance. It's not easy because we don't want to go near the injustice. That feels too much. And yet we know that that's where Jesus is right now, right today. He goes and he meets with those in the darkest, deepest places and says, come, follow me. And so there's something wrapped up in these verses. And in fact, the whole book of Revelation that calls us, I think, to think about our posture as a follower of the Lamb. And Ian last week talked about the distant disciple, the resistance practice within discipleship that we're being called into in resisting the injustices, not, not contributing to the injustices. But I want to offer you something this morning that God has been putting in my heart, not just in preparation for this, but for a long time, is that it's not only resisting posture that the dissident disciple needs to think about and, and be active in. So it's not just resisting, it's also leaning in. There's two rhythms that work together, resisting, but leaning in, leaning into the lamb, leaning into God, leaning into the unjust places with the mark of Christ for protection, leaning in far enough that you can see its face. It's 
I put my glasses on because I wanted to see your faces this morning because my eyesight is not good. I can read this, but I can't see you. I'm going to put it back on. I can see your faces. I can see what you look like in more detail. I can see your eyes. I can see something about you that when I take my glasses off, I can't. And so God commissions the disciple to lean in with him as justice is ushered in to an unjust world. And I just want to finish on two things. Can you put the next slide up? Because just as that woman I was talking about in prison, who has been converted to Christ and who is now leaning in and resisting. And she is a dissident disciple. So basically, they're in houses and everybody, every woman that comes into that prison that is placed in her house comes to the Bible study. <laughs> She's an evangelist. It's amazing. So we've been sent in there to support her and her commissioning in seeing triumphs of justice in an unjust world. What a privilege. And I've got a study Bible I've bought her that I'm taking in today after this because she wants to learn theology. Uh, and I'm trying to talk to the folk at WTC to see if there's any chance we can get her on a course. She's on fire. She's on fire and the Lord is at work and the triumphs, we can see it unfold every single week that we spend time and we see what God is doing. But let me just finish on uh, just a couple of, of extra little things. These pictures up here uh, are pictures that I've sourced um, that kind of uh, give you an image of a woman called Perpetua. So Perpetua lived uh, in the Roman rule or under the Roman rule uh, about 100 years after John's vision had been recorded. Uh, and Perpetua was a Roman citizen. Her families weren't Christians and they relocated to North Africa, to Carthage. And it was there that she heard the old, old story. And she responded and a triumph of justice in an unjust world was birthed. Perpetua's story is one like many of that time and one that John was aware of in how this vision was communicated, the language, what he drew on, because it was a world that was harsh. It was a world that was full of horror. You didn't, they didn't have to read. This wasn't horror, this was reality. And so there was something that they needed to hear to help them. They needed to lean in and be reminded of. And Perpetua was one who was arrested because she was a Christian and she was taken and she was placed in the arena and she was killed for resisting. But what's recorded in her diaries is more something of her leaning in. Yes, she resisted and she didn't turn from Christ, 
but she also leaned in. And as she leaned in, that's what enabled her to actually fulfill the commissioning that, that she was given by God, which was she led a congregation. But she didn't lead the congregation like we are sitting here this morning. She led the congregation from the prison and from the arena. And so her life was the vision. Her life was the vision. And Perpetua had a dream that was recorded. She recorded her dreams in her diaries. Um, and what I think is really interesting with uh, one of the dreams, well, all of the dreams, but one that I was drawn to was Perpetua's language was very similar to John's language. It says, Perpetua, I am waiting for you, but take care, do not let the dragon bite you. He will not harm me, she said, in the name of Christ Jesus. Slowly as though we, he were afraid of me, the dragon stuck his head out from underneath the ladder. Then using it as my first step, I trod in its head and I went up. Perpetua was drawn on the things that she was living through, but she was also drawing on the things of the story that had been told, the story that had power to change her life. And it tells us that as she went into the arena and knew that she would be killed, she said, so much for what I did up until the eve of this contest about what happened at the contest, contest itself has been recorded, but then let him write of it who will, that which will follow. And that's the bit, isn't it? This has all been written in real time. This has all been unfolded in real time. And so suppose the challenge in our hearts is as we read Revelation, is our commissioning. Just like in chapter eight, the early, cha the early verses that I read, as the angels stood in the throne of God and were commissioned and given their trumpets, we also come before God at his throne and are commissioned to go and announce the old story, lean in to the injustice and declare the triumph of justice in an unjust world. Can you just put the last slide up for me, thanks. This picture here is a picture that I'm going to finish off with, and it's a picture by the artist Peter Housen, and it's part of his apocalyptic uh, collection. I really like Peter Housen's artwork. Um, when I say that, I, I look at that, I don't like that image. I don't like it. Uh, I actually grapple with whether to, to put it up. Uh, Moira is laughing because I met her during the week and told her about that. And then I thought, why am I, why am I grappling with putting it up? It's because I don't like it. I, I, that's not something, I'd rather see goodness before me. But I'm called to lean into that. I'm called to lean into that. There's no point. I've got the mark of Christ. And if I just stay away from this, then I'm staying away from those who are caught up in the deception of an arena, not like the one Perpetua was in, 
But we are in the age of an arena that is far more deceptive, far more hidden than that of Perpetua or John or others. It's an arena which is an online social media arena where anyone can be plucked out and placed in the middle and judged and the crowd jeers and announces judgment and applauds those in power. We have our own arena. And if us as Christians, if we don't wake up to the fact that we also operate in a world where the arena is just as fierce as as if you were taken in and devoured by an actual lion, then we will not lean in and our prayers will not resemble the leaning in that we are commissioned to do. In Peter's picture, it's difficult at first sight to figure out who's who because his angels look more like bouncers carrying the, the light. And you'll notice that at the top, there's a church on the hill with a little light, but is there anybody in? There might be churches, there might be lights on, but is the light generated from the prayers of the saints or from the electricity that we just switch on and take for granted? And then down the bottom, he always paints in a young child, which he says is his daughter. And she's the one that's just in reach of the cross, the most vulnerable, symbolic of vulnerability, the weakness of the world here is next to the cross, which is the power of salvation and repentance and justice in an unjust world. So there we have it, <laughs> the trumpets call. But it's not the trumpets that are calling. God wants us to call. God wants us to speak out the story to lean in as you think about your discipleship, think about your resistance, but think about your leaning in. What does that look like? Where are these things taking you? How close are you getting to those who are deceived, to those that God desires will not perish, but all will come to repentance? Let me just pray. Lord, I thank you for the truth, Lord, of how you are ushering triumphant justice into an unjust world. And Lord, I give you thanks and praise, Lord, that you give warnings and opportunities. And Lord, I give you thanks and praise that you are everywhere. And Lord, there is no place that is too dark, no place that is too far, no life that is too far gone. That is a lie. Lord, you are there and you require us to be there too, to see your glory, to praise your name. When we see salvation triumphant, when we see justice in an unjust life, Lord, I pray for each of us here this morning Help us, Lord. Help us not to be afraid. Help us to be confident that we are owned by you and we are commissioned in the work that you have. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to this week's Calling a City to Life talk. We hope that you enjoyed it and that you'll join us again later in the week for the chat. Speak to you again soon. Goodbye.